Hello, late night listeners. This is Brian uh, Wecht, and uh, I want to let you know that we have launched a Patreon. So you can find it at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash late night. You know how it's spelled, but I'll do it anyway, because that's me. L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N-N-I-G-H-T patreon.com slash late night. And there's all sorts of great stuff. We're going to be doing weekly mini episodes. Uh, so the mini episodes before they come out on the regular feed, which might or might not happen depending on the episode, they'll be on the Patreon that's every week. And this week's first mini episode is me and Layton and Audrey. And I get brutally roasted by my own five-year-old daughter. Uh, we're also going to be doing uh, little exclusive videos for our top tier backers. This week's I read a theme song for mayonnaise, and it's a little kind of almost like a tutorial, but not quite. Anyway, we really appreciate your support. If you've been enjoying the, the show, please check us out there. Once again, that's patreon.com slash late night. And just thanks for listening. And I hope you're staying healthy and safe. Bye. stuff happens every single day. I just can't, can't expose myself to it because like the extreme stuff is awful. And then the petty stuff is also awful. Like if it's trending on Twitter, it's probably stupid. Yeah. Good yes. call on that. I feel like that has been my, uh, I kind of have to stay away from a lot of that for my own sanity. <laughs> yeah. People yeah. are like too online right now. Oh, and not being too online and hair trigger about fucking Everything. About everything. Uh, I posted a notice on my neighborhood forum about a spider I found in my backyard, and they found a way to fight over that. <laughs> it's insane. Oh my God. It's insane. Was it? I was just like, hey, is this a poisonous spider? Does anybody who's lived here longer than me know? Thanks. And there were two people that were just like, I think it's a brown recluse. And then someone else was like, brown recluses don't live in California. Look it up. And they were like, well, my brother got bit by one. So you don't know everything. Like, oh and it God. just escalated into this crazy <laughs> argument. And I was like, cool, guys. I contacted pest control. It's just an orb spinner, friendly garden spider. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> um, like, can everyone calm down, please? Holy moly. Any of those like neighborhood apps, like it, it, when I installed one, it got uninstalled very quickly because everything, every possible thing that you could make an argument about for a long time, it was people complaining about a uh, bird scooters of how they're an eyesore. And like, listen, I don't, I don't love birds, but it, it, I was really a convert once I got on one, like I was hating on them for a long time. And then I was like, you know what? This is really fun. Rachel got on next door for like a little bit. And then I just realized I didn't want to know the politics of my neighbors. And I was like, I'm just not going to pay attention to to what's happening here because I want to actually like the people that I am on the same street with. I know there's one lady on my neighborhood forum whose name I now know. It's like burned into my mind. And I'm like, if I ever meet her in real life, I'll be like, oh, you're Sue. <laughs> Shall we take this opportunity to introduce each other? Everybody, this is Layton. Hi, that's me. Um, everybody, the other one is Brian. What's up? Uh, mystery guest, would you care to introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Trisha Hirschberger. 
Thank you guys for having me. I make content for the internet, um, but like all different types. So it's, you know, it's very funny when you're a digital content creator, as you guys both know, that uh, that it's very hard to describe what you do. So I originally started on a channel called SourceFed, which was the news in a very funny way. Um, it was mostly comedians and actors that had zero journalism background being asked to give people the news for the day. So you can imagine what that was like. Uh, but it was really fun and the channel did really well and got popular pretty quick. And so from there, I branched more heavily into video games and technology just because that's where my personal interests lie. And so now I make a lot of video game content, a lot of tech content, and a lot of um, kind of like geek lifestyle. Um, it's funny because you can call it pop culture, uh, but to different people that means different things. I've definitely been in conversations with industry people and say pop culture and they think I mean Cardi B or Kim Kardashian. And I'm like, oh, right, right. no, I definitely meant Batman who laughs, but cool, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so it puts in a, you in a very weird place. But yeah, for me, I do a lot of like geek chic fashion, um, kind of geek lifestyle stuff in addition to tech and gaming. But I've been really lucky to host for some pretty big outlets over the years. And then I have my own channels as well. So that's what I do. That's awesome. Wonderful. Yeah. Th there are certain levels of like describing what you do and you kind of have to suss out based on who you're talking to, <laughs> how you describe it. Like there's people who also make things on the internet and that's pretty easy to explain. But then you like move along the line of being in a lift and then being like, oh, what do you do? And it's like, ah, freelancer. I freelance. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even going to touch this. Right. Yeah. I just, I, I'm lucky. I can just say musician and kind of leave it at that. And that's like yeah. close enough to what I actually do that people sort of know what it means. But it's the moment I think I think for both Ninja Sex Party and Dream Daddy, a dad dating simulator, it's like you you do everything to not have to say the name of what you do. <laughs> oh yes. That is a great commonality, Leighton, between the two of us that I never put together, which is that we have very uniquely named main things that people know us from. And they're slightly embarrassing to say and <laughs> cause not that I am at all embarrassed about Ninja Sex Party, but there are definitely situations in which I'm not going to bring it up, if that makes sense. Yeah. I remember there was like pre Dream Daddy, it was a lot of or while it was still in development, it was me trying to explain it. And uh, I remember one guy was like, oh, so are you're developing like a dating app for dads? I was like, well, no, but that should be a thing, I guess. It should be a thing. I feel like that must be a thing somewhere, right? Yeah, it's um, it's it's called Father, yeah. but it's it's spelled like Grinder. Yes, it's just F A T H R, <laughs> which honestly, to be honest, was a thing that we were going to put in the game, and then we just couldn't find a way to shoehorn it in. But <laughs> well, there must be a subsection of Grinder, which which is this, right? I mean, I don't know. I've never been on only for dads. I've never been on a single dating app. I've been married for close to 13 years now so it's like you know yeah which is awesome you you have been spared from just the true depths of suffering of humanity yeah they're not good they're bad trisha have you been did you avoid all the app stuff or have you been married uh not long enough for for that uh this october i will have been married five years so I missed Tinder and I missed Bumble, um, but I was definitely aware of and using Match and uh, eHarmony and mm. plenty of fish was out, but I didn't use it. Yeah. Th things that had commercials. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That, that was the online dating that I did 
for sure. And I, like I said, I did a lot of it um, because it's very, very hard to find people in Los Angeles uh, because while it is, you know, while it's a, a very big pond to fish in, I feel like a lot of the fish are sick in some way. <laughs> <laughs> Finding a healthy fish in that large pond is quite the challenge. So I always felt like if you could rule some of the options out ahead of time on paper by seeing that, you know, they didn't have similar life goals or you disagreed on something that was like a must have or something like that, that that might be a good way to save yourself some heartache in the long run. Now, that being said, my husband and I did not meet online. We met through a mutual friend. Um, but and, and we always joke that we would have never gotten together if we had met online because mm-hmm. he really wanted a large dog and I get really awkward around large animals and he likes football and I'm not a sports person. And like there were a lot of things that he wanted someone that was okay with smokers, even though he doesn't smoke because he thought that people who oh, said no smokers on their profile were judgmental. <laughs> And I'm like, well, I just don't smoke. So I put, not that I don't care if other people smoke. I just put no smokers because I don't smoke. And if eventually I'm going to live with that person, I don't know that I want to deal with that in my house. So anyway, there were all these things that we would have not been matched up online. But here we are uh, so many years later and it's been working out great. That's amazing. And you have a three-year-old. We do. We have a three-year-old who you probably heard a little bit in the background of this call, maybe, (laughs) um, because he's just getting up from NAF and uh, wanted to tell me about his potty training success. Congratulations. Yeah, he's currently eating a chocolate chip cookie, which is the reward for uh, a big success, I should say. Um, and so so that's that's where we are right now in my life. But yeah, he's amazing. And he just kind of started preschool before all of this uh, shelter in place stuff happened. So he gets his school is doing Zoom circle time Monday, Wednesday, Aww. and Friday morning. So he's still getting to stay in touch with his somewhat normal routine. I imagine a Zoom call with a bunch of uh, little baby childs is probably very loud. <laughs> yes. Um, they they mute all participants except for the teacher. With, with kindergarten Zoom calls, you know, at that age, they know how to, because they're five and six, they know how to mute and unmute themselves. And there's a lot of screaming for the teacher while they're on mute. And so you'll hear all these kids being like, blah, 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 and then silence. And then Audrey will just be like, teacher, teacher, teacher. And you're like, honey, she can't hear you. <laughs> and But also don't unmute yourself because it's very disruptive. Totally. You guys were making me crack up when you were talking about Dream Daddy and Ninja Sex Party about how both the names are kind of embarrassing to talk about. I do a vlog series called The Naked Truth. Um, so I'm going to join the kind of embarrassing to talk about what you do party over here. Um, it was really funny when we were shopping for houses because, you know, we were saying, well, we would love to have, like, if there's a house that has a really small bedroom, that's realistically too small to be a bedroom for anything larger than a twin size bed. We would love something that has something like that so that I could have a studio. And people always say, you know, what, what do you do? Yep. Of course. My husband always had the funniest time of that. Cause he was like, she makes videos for the internet, but like not that kind of videos. But uh, <laughs> and, and then he would get, like start fumbling that like the, there's a show called The Naked Truth, but like that. Wait, never mind. Uh, <laughs> it all yeah. sounds bad. So how did you guys meet originally? Well, through through Game Grumps because uh, Dream Daddy was what would you call it? Pro- produced by Game Grumps? Is that is that how you say it, Layden? Pu- public published, I guess. Published, yeah. Question mark. 
And so I remember when you guys were writing the game, I would just pass by Vernon's desk and you guys would be Skyping. And that's... Oh my God. And you helped us write all those um, coffee puns for uh, Matt's Coffee Shop. That's right. I forgot about that. Yes. That was probably the first time, right? That you and I spoke. The second time that I flew out to LA when we had like just started working on things, um, it was like I had like black and blue hair that was down to like my mid back at that point. And I was visiting the Grumps office and we had like, it was part of the, the group meeting and this was the old, old office. And like we were putting in Postmates orders before the meeting. And I think I was the last one to do it. And then like after the meeting, you were like, oh, you didn't submit the Postmates order. And I was like, Brian hates me. No, <laughs> I fucked up. I have no memory of that happening. So clearly it stuck with me. <laughs> we actually met for the very first time at MAGFest 2015, which was the first time that I met Vernon. But it was like after a Hot Pepper gaming panel. And I said, hi. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, I do remember that panel. Yeah. They were like, please don't eat the pepper. And then that guy was like, no, I'm going to eat the pepper. And then he ate the pepper. Right, and that right, was right. a bad idea. Yeah. Oh, yes. Hot pepper gaming. The good old days. Oh, yes. You were, you, Vernon did get you to eat a pepper, didn't he? He did. And to this day, I like can't even taste anything that's habanero flavored, even if it's not spicy, because I feel like I get hot pepper gaming PTSD. Oh, I feel like that's the same for many people. I'm glad that I only uh, came on the scene after that happened because I love spicy food. It's the best. I don't want to cry or vomit or have to chug Pepto-Bismol. Well, I had a friend, my friend, Anthony Carboni, who you may know. He's been, he was our third guest on the podcast, Yay! I believe. Yeah. yeah, Anthony was like, hey, I referred you for the show Hot Pepper Gaming. I want you to do it. Um, and he was, I was like, ah, I don't like hot stuff. He was like, don't worry, it's not a big deal. It... <laughs> He goes, it hurts your mouth like while you're chewing it. But then like after you swallow it, you're good. Like they give you a popsicle right after and you're good. And I was like, okay, if you say so. He's a bad guy. He's right? not a good person. <laughs> he, he and I have been friends for so long. Uh, but I was like, I was like, yeah, okay. You know, if you say so, that sounds good to me. So I, uh, I actually brought an Oreo milkshake to the shoot with me because I was so terrified because I don't normally eat spicy food. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to like like because you know you hear milk helps with spicy food so I'm like I'm just gonna put this milkshake all in my mouth as soon as I'm done um so I did it it was bad while I was doing it as expected and then the milkshake and the popsicle and anything else I could put in my mouth afterwards did not help they did not, it did not oh, no. make the feeling in my mouth go away um so after like I don't know an hour maybe I was like okay I have control everything's fine now um but my stomach felt weird and my stomach felt weird for like days and so the next day Anthony texted me and all he said was how's your butt and I was like, you jerk face, you big jerk face. It was so funny. Yeah, Anthony and I have a very brother-sister relationship. I love him dearly. But that that was a moment that I was like, you are the biggest jerk on the planet. But you know what? If it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have done it. And that's a really fond memory. I'm like very proud of myself that I did that because I don't normally get out of my comfort zone with human stunts and things of that nature. So <laughs> I'm, I, it's a personal like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, you could say you did it. That's a big one. I did one in character in the ninja costume and we recorded it at Ross's place and Aaron did one right, I think right before or after, I can't remember me, like same, like one right after the other. I, I swear, like he almost died 
in that one. It was one of the most alarming things I've seen a human being go through. <laughs> it was actually scary. And oh, yeah, I think that's the first one he did, although it might be the second. I think he did it twice. And it was genuinely terrifying uh, to watch him do it. <laughs> well, and then you do yours and you don't blink for like several minutes. I think it's like four to five minutes, something like that. People still occasionally bring it up. They're like, oh, it's edited or whatever. No, that was just like, that was really, it was just not blinking and eating the pepper for several minutes. I couldn't see straight for a little bit <laughs> after that, like genuinely had blurry vision for just keeping my eyes open so long, but it was all worth it because it's on video. And it's hilarious. It's very funny. <laughs> Thank you. Has that been a skill that you've always had of just really uh, staring it down? I didn't know I did. Until we started doing the ninja stuff <laughs> and I put on the costume and it was just like, it just kind of came with it. And then yeah. at some point I realized I wasn't blinking and I was like, oh, wait, I think I'm good at staring. Is that a thing? I guess that's a thing. <laughs> and then it became something that I like actively cultivated. In fact, <laughs> this is maybe not my best parenting moment. Yesterday, I was like, Audrey, let's have a staring contest. <laughs> Cut to a child sobbing on the floor two minutes later when she she realizes that, I mean, she's five. She can't not move and not blink for more than like five seconds and then got yeah. really, you know, upset that she couldn't do it. And Rachel and I had to be like, honey, it's not, it's like, it's not a big deal. Like you don't need to do it, but. That's not a skill that you will ever need in your life. Yeah. I'm probably one of the few, right. That where it's part of my job. Are you able to keep your eyes open underwater without goggles? I don't do that because I have contacts. Oh. They ain't cheap and I don't want them to fall out. Actually, I, I assiduously avoid doing that because I don't want to hmm. lose my, my contact lenses. Yeah, I have fucking terrible vision. I'm like minus 15 in both eyes. Whoa. Yeah, I'm, I, I, mean, I mean, I'm beyond legally blind. Like I have severe myopia. Wow. I was going to say, you're, you guys are talking about opening your eyes underwater, and I just don't do it because I'm a baby. But in my <laughs> son's swim class, it's one of the things that they've trained him yes. to do. Like, my son's been in swim class since he was six months old. Um, and I mean, obviously, it's shut down now because everything's shut down. But they do not want us to give them goggles because they want them to be able to, if they were to fall in the water, be able to open their eyes to see where the edge is to get to the yeah. edge. Wow. They did that in Audrey's class, too. They had to check off these skills before they would move on to the next thing. And one of them very explicitly was open your eyes underwater. Yeah, it's not even a thing because we did the mommy and me's when he was really little where I would go in the pool with him. At three, you're allowed to give them to an instructor and the instructor can go in with them. But yeah, they say like you can call to them so they can hear you and swim towards where your voice is. But like the edge of the pool obviously isn't going to make any noise. So they need to be able to find that. Yeah. When I was a kid, that was like not a thing at all. And I've always been like an eyes open underwater, including in the ocean, which is a rough one, but I will Ugh. absolutely do it. You you keep your eyes without goggles open in the ocean underwater. Yeah. After a few seconds, you get used to it. Uh. That's amazing. And it's, it's so cool to like watch the waves go over you, especially because everything's kind of like blurry and sandy. That doesn't hurt your eyes? I mean, it hurts your eyes, but it's not like unbearable. <laughs> it sounds like it would be really painful. You meditate on the pain. I, you know, that's it, it's whatever. I was a real like beach kid. I grew up in a beach town, so it was just sort of like the regular deal. I was dealing with, you know, 
but I'm blonde, so uh, chlorine turning your hair green from being in there all the time. Leighton, you're a real badass. You know that? (laughs) Thank you. So obviously Atlantic Ocean Beach. Did you have tons of jellyfish? Sort of more washed up on the beach than actually encounter them in the water. But mm-hmm. I was it was my constant fear and sharks because we actually had a lot of sharks. Did oh. you really in North Carolina? Yeah, uh, not many that I saw up close while in the water. But like you see the fins a lot and same with dolphins. Like, what? Yeah, I was um, my dad and I used to go kayaking and there was one Easter where we went kayaking because we would go to this little island and like set up a fire and roast marshmallows and stuff. But there was a, an entire pod of dolphins that was coming towards us and they all went under and around our kayaks. Oh. So they were all right there coming out of the water. It was just like the coolest thing in the world. That's amazing. The Jersey Shore, we didn't live near the shore, but it was like an easy drive, like less than an hour from us yeah. in North Jersey. And my main memory of, the, of that shore is just like a shit ton of jellyfish all the time. You just had to like accept it if you were going to go swimming. I remember taking one of those little like kind of like boogie board type things and just watch watching as jellyfish washed up on it and then went down and up and down. And sometimes there were real big ones that would come up on the beach. Not a thing I was particularly creeped out or interested in. It was just like, that's what it was. It just exists. Yeah. But now the idea of like swimming with jellyfish is terrifying to me. Did y'all ever watch that show that was on the Discovery Channel way before it just turned into reality TV where it was uh, the most extreme? No. I, I know what it is, but I've never seen it. No. Uh, it was the best. It would do like the top 10 countdowns of like the 10 most poisonous animals. And they had like it was really notable because they had these terrible like 3D animations that would show like, what if a human could spit poison? And then they would always <laughs> like talk talk to a person like right before the number one reveal. But anyway, they're always like most deadly, most dangerous most poisonous and like it would always be a box jellyfish and even though they are not anywhere where i would be i was like i'm gonna get stung by a box jellyfish and i'm gonna die have you ever seen those uh those nomura jellyfish that live off the coast of japan do you know what i'm talking about what do they look like okay uh, i feel like i'm googling right now google it right now nomura jellyfish oh don't like that don't like that one bit Oh, no, it's so big. Oh, no, I don't like that. <laughs> oh, that's terrifying. What the fuck? It's the size of a human. What? I just saw it next to a scuba diver. Holy crap, that thing would eat you alive. Uh, fuck that shit. Like, I don't know if they're deadly or what, but they're just fucking huge. That's crazy. There's one picture in particular I'm thinking of. Of It's probably the one you're seeing where it's like literally next to someone in a scuba suit. It's the same size. Yeah. That's some prehistoric shit. I love that. I haven't watched any like nature programs in a while. Maybe I need to get back into it. There's a song that I really like that's called Let's Get High and Watch Planet Earth by (laughs) Watsky. Recommend it. Trisha, did you grow up near the water? I uh, grew up outside of Philly. So uh, Jersey Shore was a staple for me as well. So I know the jellyfish routine as a kid. I totally get that. I'm right there with you on that memory. But then you're used to warmer water. If you got the jellyfish, you got the warmer water. So the downside being out in California now is, yes, there's no no jellyfish, but it's also freezing year round. Freezing all the time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's that too. Um, but I always loved going to the beach. I, I, you know, we were still probably a two to three hour drive from the beach where I grew up. So it was like yeah, a yeah. once a year vacation, we would go down for, or we would go to the shore for a week. And now it's funny because now I, 
distance wise lives so much closer to the beach and I still only maybe go a few times a year and not because I don't want to just because LA traffic is a pain yes you know we all work too much and all that good stuff um last year I actually went back east to the Jersey Shore for a week though for a vacation which was fun and my whole family like all extended family aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody all went now of course all of my cousins or a lot of my cousins have kids so then it's like all of the kids of that generation that are second cousins all hanging out on the beach and playing together so that was really cool I can like taste the saltwater taffy from a distance. Yeah. That was the, I remember every summer getting that saltwater taffy from the beach. And Cora's Brothers soft serve. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. K-O-H-R. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Which town would you go to when you were growing up? That was by the beach. Do you remember? Either Wildwood, Ocean City, or Long Beach Island. Oh, nice. We were, we do Wildwood for the boardwalk, mm-hmm. but I think our, our go-to was Stone Harbor, which is, I believe, further south. Okay. Uh, I would, you know, just one of these little New Jersey beach towns. I have not been back to Stone Harbor since I was probably 12 or something. Oh, man, you got to go. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. My sister, who lives in Jersey City, like still goes down the shore all the time. I haven't been back forever. So when you went back this time, did you go to Wildwood or what? Um, I want to say we did go to Wildwood for a day, but maybe we didn't um, because we had Little Man. And, yeah. you know, you don't really right. want to get in the car after you're settled, especially after you fly with a child six hours yes. across the country. Oh, you just kind of want to stay put when you get there. And we rented a shore house that was, I, th- I want to say like two or three blocks from the beach. So it was like an easy nice. pile your stuff in the wagon and roll down to the beach kind of day. And then um, my extended family had all rented different houses kind of all over the island. But we said, you know, OK, everyone go to the beach at 17th Street. And that's where we're all going to meet with umbrellas and blankets and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we just, I think we just pretty much stayed put. That's awesome. I guess the last time I was there, NSP, we were on tour, I think this is two years ago, in between big show dates, I do these little variety show nights. And we did one in Asbury Park, which I hadn't been to since I was like a kid. And in the 80s, it was like a pretty rough place. And now it's like, gorgeous you know it got totally totally renovated i think my understanding is basically a large gay population moved in and kind of made the town nice and now it's a great place to live there was like this cool kind of decaying old beach structure that looked like it was from the early 20th century it was a beautiful little town besides that i haven't been back for a very long time I have a question. Uh, what's, in your opinion, the ultimate snacking on the beach food? Well, you want something ideally that doesn't get grease on your hands because you don't want to like pick up sand and then get that on your food. That's right. Yeah. I love cheesesteaks, but like cheesesteaks <laughs> on the beach, if the sand blows, then you have sand in your cheesesteak and that's gross. That's the episode title, yeah. by the way, Layden. Cheesesteaks on the beach. I think we, <laughs> we, we have it. <laughs> Wait, okay, so I, I do want to return to the beach snack question, but we had a question a couple of episodes ago that I was asking, uh, what is the proper cheese for a Philly cheesesteak, in your opinion? I like mine with American. That's a legit answer. I will accept any answer. I feel like I'm, if I'm really going for it, like, cheese whiz, baby. That's that's the stuff. Well, that's, yeah, that's the OG. Yeah. But man, I miss good food. Like, just talking about food from back east is like, oh man, I miss it so hard. Yeah, there's so much stuff. I mean, to me, the big one is bagels. 
I don't know what the Philly bagel scene is. I assume it's a pale imitation of New Jersey's. That's the number one thing I miss about North Jersey is the bagels. I mean, then there's stuff like Taylor ham, or some people call it pork roll. I miss Taylor ham so fucking bad. Taylor ham's the best. I don't even know what that is. I mean, I call it pork roll because I'm a heathen. Is Taylor ham like a type of pork roll or spam? I don't even know what it is. Taylor ham and pork roll are the same thing. Taylor ham is like a branded version of pork roll, but they're the same thing. It's like processed, pressed pork that you slice off and grill. Got it. You got to make little score marks in it so it doesn't bubble up. It's like the best thing in the world. A good uh, cheese, egg, and pork roll sandwich is like one of my favorite things in the world. It's just so hammy. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to the beach food question. Brian, I want to hear your your thought on this. Well, it, it also it, a lot of it is colored by now having a child because whatever mm. you bring will get annihilated by sand. So, yes. I mean, honestly, I'm like, don't eat at the beach unless you can avoid it. Like, we'll bring little. This is such a parent thing. Like little plastic, you know, containers of goldfish crackers, and mm-hmm. even then, the the sand like they become infested with sand basically immediately. Well, that's why a salty thing is great because you know it's going to be salty anyway, so you might as well disguise it a little bit. Uh, Honestly, what we do now when we go to the beach is just buy an ice cream from one of the many, you know, vendors who are walking around selling little bags of fruit or ice cream or or whatever. That's kind of where we lean on the beach food thing. The applesauce that comes in a squeezy pouch is totally the way to go. Because you just unscrew the top of it and suck it right out the top and like give that to your kids. No sand in there. I mean, unless they had sand on their lips, there's a very small chance that sand is going to get up in there. So for kids snacks on the beach, uh, squeezable applesauce packets is is our go-to. I buy those as an adult. They're so good. (laughs) That is one of the very few things we stocked up on when social distancing started. Like we ordered a 40-pack of applesauce because (laughs) it'll get eaten. Rachel eats them. Audrey's, it's a necessity when you have a, a little kid. Yep. It's like having a Go-Gurt. Oh, shit. Yeah. I want a Go-Gurt so bad. I want a frozen Go-Gurt. <laughs> That's a good beach snack. Frozen Go-Gurt, yes. Actually, you know what? At the Minnesota State Fair, Rachel is a Minnesotan, and at the State Fair, they sell frozen cider in like Otter Pop type packages. Do you know what I'm talking about? Ooh, mm-hmm. that sounds so good. Frozen apple cider popsicles, and they are fucking awesome. It's like the greatest thing. And I've never seen them anywhere else. It's the best. I'm so hungry right now. <laughs> should we move into some questions? We should, but real quick. Okay, so we tweeted asking people to send questions based on arguments. And I just want to say, all of you who emailed us asking, uh, is a hot dog a sandwich or is cereal a soup? You are all on my shit list. <laughs> you are all on my shit list and I will not forgive you. I hate those questions. Go back to 2010 Reddit, please. Like, I'm not, it's not useful. I'm sorry. Yell at me for it. I don't care. They're like so asinine. I think that there's a germ of an interesting idea there that has been completely ground into oblivion by a million people asking it. I have to say, you know, these categorization questions based on kind of nothing are, I just don't find them interesting questions. It's like, where are you even going to go with it? If you have fun talking about it, that's fine. Sure. But fuck, I don't care. Is a Pop-Tart a ravioli? 
I don't give a single shit. <laughs> so I want to read this email because it's sort of a follow up on one of the um, advice questions that we did. And then I also really like what the actual question is, but it's a little long. Hi, Brian Layton and mystery guest. Thank you for the suggestions for birthday and quarantine ideas. It was a good one. Lots of time via Discord with friends. Hooray! And uh, happy belated to Brian. I'm 29 now. He, him. Same as always, etc. Spoilers are such a big thing in media and its consumption now. Spoilers even are something people seemingly get righteous about when they're spoiled by something they read online or a friend casually discussing the work or, alarmingly common now, the trailer itself. The trailer itself may be a bit of a digression since it suggests that advertising is recognizing people need to see the whole plot of a film before they watch it to decide on if they want to see it, uh, blah, blah, blah. Basically, this email boils down to should people collectively care about not spoiling things? Like, is it a, a you problem, not a me problem? Or should we all be conscientious of spoilers? I think people should always be conscientious of other people. Like, whether it's about spoilers or other things, like, if you're like, hey, this could ruin someone else's day, maybe I shouldn't say it. But I guess I, I err on the side of not shitting in people's soup on the daily. <laughs> yep. Now, certainly, there are definitely people who get very oversensitive and will get upset about, like, for me, I don't think looking at a trailer is a spoiler or I, and this actually happened to me on Twitter. I was very excited about the trailer. So I like showed the trailer in my tweet and people were then mad that I showed the trailer because that was a spoiler. And I'm like, what? I, yeah, it was very bizarre to me. So like, I understand that there were people kind of on, on all pages of this. And of course I apologized because I was like, I'm sorry. I was just excited about trailer. You can scroll past the tweet. Like no one's forcing you to watch. It literally, it takes like one, one muscle to scroll past a thing. Yeah. I, I like blanket avoid trailers because I kind of like, I love going into movies totally blind. And also for me, they're spoilery enough. And I think this is because I like horror movies so much that like, I don't want to get ruined on what all of the like best scares or creatures in the thing are. Like, Got I just want to be surprised by it. But otherwise, I don't care about spoilers. It doesn't affect my enjoyment of a thing, but conscientious of other people. But I do think there is a statute of limitations on spoilers based on how old the thing is. Like, if it's been a decade, if it's been this long and you haven't seen it, I think people are free to discuss. Trisha, I totally agree with you. What kind of monster would actively try to spoil something for someone? Be nice to people. Like, it's not it's not that hard to not spoil stuff for other people. I think spoilers are fine. I'll tell you, I, I watch trailers for movies. I absolutely do. I enjoy them a lot. For me, the big thing that I've stopped doing is reading blurbs on books because I feel like mm. often the plot summary, it's like two-thirds of the book. And, and it does it in a really compressed form. So now I mm. will actively, in any book I read, especially if it's a novel, I mean, less so like a nonfiction thing, but if it's a novel, I actively will not read the paragraph on the back of the book just because I don't want to know what happens. The reason I stopped doing it was that I read the blurb and I was like, well, I started reading the book and I was like, when th when's this thing going to, oh shit, that's like a major plot point that was supposed to come out of the blue, but it was just on the on the back of this book. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. And I don't understand why they, I mean, I, I guess I do understand why they do it. It's to, because it's some cool detail that they think will get people to read the book. But some of them really seem like major information that's just not necessary to include there. But as far as like, is it okay to spoil stuff? It's just personal preference. Some people like it, some people don't. But be aware of other people's feelings and don't force people to 
to hear spoilers if if they don't want to. And I get it. When you see something you love, like I totally get being excited about it and wanting to talk about it. Um, but there are different places that I think you can do that. Like if you can have like a conversation in a private discord group about a specific detail or spoiler plot point of a film, probably err on the side of doing it there rather than on your public Twitter feed. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like that's a great rule for most things. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you having a discussion about sensitive topics? Maybe do that where you can see the person's body language and hear their tone and you already have an established relationship rather than just uh, doing it on Twitter, which is literally the worst place to do so. Agreed. Yeah, let's move on to another question. This question is from Sheridan, she, her. And <laughs> Sheridan says, this isn't really an argument as such, but more of a dispute. My question is, is this bag of soup weird? And attached to the email is image0.jpg. And there is a picture oh, man. of a, on what looks like a, uh, some kind of Tupperware type container of a bag of brown soup. Is this soup weird? That's the... Is this bag of soup? So the bag is an important element of this. I, I believe the question, I believe Sheridan is not asking, is this soup weird? We have zero details about what this soup is. The question is, is this bag of soup weird? So to me, the most notable thing is that this bag seems to have a prescribed shape. It's not like a Ziploc bag, which is just kind of a blob, right? This bag, it kind of tapers down. It looks somewhat like a truncated cone. It's like those waterproof bags that you bring to go kayaking or whatever that are rubber and has a little Ziploc at the top. And it's got a little flat bottom, like it looks like a circular bottom, and then it kind of goes up. The shape of the bag is just set, and then you put stuff inside it. Yeah, so it, it looks like it's made for liquid. I agree. Which seems smart. It seems useful. Like, like it won't fall over like a Ziploc bag, and then you get soup everywhere. My take is, yes, it's weird, but it is functional, and I want one. <laughs> I'm going to say it's weird in that it's unusual, but... I think this is the kind of unusual thing we should be normalizing. This thing looks awesome. I agree. Normalize soup bags now. <laughs> we need more soup bag representation. I think this is the bag that like all the companies that make bags for you to store breast milk in need to take notes from. Oh, yeah. Mm. So anyone who has not been down the breastfeeding journey, I'll just give you a quick TLDR. The bags <laughs> that they give you to put it in are supposed to be like kind of roundish at the bottom, or at least a shape that's not going to fall over, and then a Ziploc at the top, similar to this soup bag, except for they are so flimsy and thin that you could have a bag half full, and then it just falls over, which uh, is the yeah. most frustrating thing in the entire universe. So this soup bag should talk to the other bag manufacturer friends that they have and make them all like this. I'm in favor of this weird soup bag. That could, that could be a cottage industry, you know? Yeah. Like double usage. It's like how uh, Pedialyte leaned into, hey, we know that you drink this when you have a hangover. We're going to market this so you know yeah. that it's not just for babies. Yeah. yeah. So I think the consensus is this is an unusual bag of soup, but it shouldn't be. But it's awesome. Other emails are the rest are any of these good? There was one that I really wanted to address because it made me mad. <laughs> Wait, is it the the Stephen Sondheim one? Yes, it's one? the Stephen Sondheim one. Wait, what's wrong with Stephen Sondheim? Oh, we're about to find out. Check out this asshole. So, <laughs> this person who I will leave anonymous because they didn't specify, and this is to me the very definition of a hot take. Says, 
Stephen Sondheim's lyrics are genius, but his melodies are boring and repetitive. Okay. I, I'm not, okay. I don't know that this is the opinion of this person, but that is straight up stupid. Like Sondheim, and I apologize for the harsh words. Sondheim's, his melodies are boring and repetitive. Are you fucking kidding me? His melodies are fascinating. <laughs> like his melodies go out of the key all the time. They jump around. They're amazing. What are you fucking talking about? Like this, this has made me more upset than I think any single question we've gotten on this podcast. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, I'm not saying everything Sondheim does is absolute genius. I'm not willing to make a blanket statement like that. I'm a huge fan, but boring and repetitive. Like, have you literally ever seen anything interesting? This is, I, this is so upsetting to me. I, I can't think of anything that is less boring and less repetitive. I mean, like, do his songs have... Also, it's a fucking musical. Of course it's going to be repetitive. That's how music works. Well, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like, yeah, there are verses and choruses. Like, if you don't like that, go, you know, you know, write your fucking discordant shit in a barn somewhere. I mean, if you're going to listen to any kind of musical theater or pop music or whatever, you're going to have some kind of repetition. It's repetitive in that sense. If you think this is repetitive in... Any other sense, I I question literally everything about your judgment. This is a a horrible take, and that's all I have to say about that. I think this is one of the first times you've been like legitimately mad on this show. I think the only other time was the genuine "How dare you" at Amanda Palmer in the last episode. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm I'm trying to be madder. I feel like the world could use more negative energy. <laughs> oh, absolutely. There are not enough angry people in the world it's, who have podcasts. I mean, uh -huh. look, I, I, I can understand if you're like, I don't like Sondheim. That, that's a, you know what? I don't agree, but that's a personal preference, right? It's like, you, you can like it it's or not. It's your opinion, but you're wrong. That, that, yes, exactly. You can, you know, you can't tell other people to have good taste. That's fine. But boring and repetitive, like that is, granted, there is some wiggle room on that, but come the fuck on. That is, I, I can't think of anything less boring and repetitive than Sondheim melodies. This, that take is, is garbage. It is a hashtag hot take. Hashtag unpopular opinion. Hashtag hot take. Speaking of unpopular opinions, um, this is, uh, oh boy. Um, I hate <laughs> musicals. I really, really hate musicals. It is a zone that I... You're saying that, Layton? Yeah. And this is me saying they are not for me, but I, I just like, I, I'm not. I'm extremely not here for them. And I say this as a former theater kid who did theater for a long time. I, I, don't, I don't care for them. So it's not me saying that they're not good. It's me saying that I don't like them. Yeah, which is fine, of course. Uh, totally valid to say that you don't like them. And it's interesting to me that you don't like them having been a theater kid. Yes. Yeah, well, they're, they're fun to be in, but I don't want to watch them. It's like I don't go to improv shows much and I don't like going to see theater stuff because it's always a gamble for me where it's like, OK, if this is good, it's going to be really good. And if it's bad, I'm going to want to die in this audience chair. And it's I, I think I've had like too many negative experiences. And I just I don't, there's there's theater kid voice is what I'll say. There's theater kid voice to all musicals. And it's like it's you know, you got to have the people in the back here. Yeah. And it, it's a. A hamminess that I don't really like, despite generally being a large fan of um, hamminess. I, I completely get that. And that is something that it, 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 I find this much worse in improv. The threshold between good and annoying is very thin. And mm -hmm. it's often, and of course, it just comes down to personal taste more than anything. But it is very easy 
to see something that falls on the wrong side of annoying. Actually, I was thinking about this a lot recently. The thing that I find the most annoying is trying too hard. And Mm -hmm. if it seems like you're trying, and not even to do a specific thing, but just like that, you know, that like really going for it in kind of an irritating way, that to me is a real difference. I will say that I think the best musicals, both in terms of the writing and music and acting, avoid that. And Sondheim is actually, to me, a really great example of very much avoiding that trap of like, of, of what you call theater kid voice, which is a great. I think a great descriptor, you know, like the best Sondheim, like, I mean, the one that comes to mind for me is Sweeney Todd, which I would argue that musical, like, first of all, I I think that is a legitimate genius work of art start to finish. But I think that really, really avoids the seeming like it's trying too hard trap that so much theater and especially musical theater falls into. Some of it is also just kind of what was going on at the time, like theater, you know, like the Rodgers and Hammerstein kind of era from, you know, Mm. the 40s or whatever. That stuff now feels like very artificial in a way, like in Oklahoma feels like, oh, man, they're really pushing for it. I feel like I have to forgive musicals for being written when they were written, too, and just kind of get into that vibe. But older stuff to me certainly feels like it's pushing harder than a lot of modern stuff. I would agree with that. Again, being in a musical, super fucking fun. I'm so glad that I was a theater kid when I was. But yeah, I just, I I hate the thing where we're going to start doing a song. Like, fuck, it's, I'm not into it. But I don't Um, think good musicals do that. That's what I'm saying. Good actors don't do that and good musicals don't do that. Yeah, I would agree that I was a theater major in college. That's like uh, not musical theater um, because I can't sing or dance to save my life. I so wish that I could and always joke around that I would sell my left boob to be able to sing and dance so that I could do musicals professionally. Just the left one, which would be really awkward, but I would do it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I love musicals. I love Les Mis. I love Rent. Um, I was supposed to see Hamilton the day that the Pantages closed down. Oh, no. Because of all of this. I had tickets. At 1 o'clock, I called and I was like, is the show still on for tonight? Because a lot of stuff is closing down. And they were like, yeah, totally still on. And then at 2, they put a notice on their website that were like, no show tonight or indefinitely. So that was sad. Uh, But when I lived on the East Coast, I would take the train to New York City a lot to go see shows. So I saw Rent on Broadway like a bajillion times. Um, Aida, I think, is fantastic. And I agree with you uh, for sure that there are are kind of some of the more old-fashioned musicals tend to be a lot more showcasey and Mm -hmm. um, a lot more, I I don't want to say like, phoning it in but definitely that like overacty <laughs> very showman style whereas m- some of the newer musicals I don't see that as much and that just could be because of the product of the time of the theater that was mm-hmm. created when I was growing up you know that I feel yeah. that way but what I like so much about musical theater is the heightened emotion that I think is very hard to get from a straight play Because music Mm. can just convey emotion in such a different way that you don't traditionally get otherwise. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely that that very schmackty is kind of the term I like to use. (laughs) (laughs) That very schmackty style of musical. Some people love, hence the success of Glee for how many seasons on TV. And it is just not for other people. And I totally get and respect that. But yeah, for me, like some of the darker musicals, like I agree, Sweeney Todd is amazing. Amazing. 
such yeah. a good musical. But yeah, for me, it probably Les Mis, Rent, and Aida are my top three if I had to choose. Rent, I keep hearing, doesn't hold up. <laughs> like, it's not good now <laughs> if you didn't see it in the 90s. But I'm like, oh, I saw it like 13 times in the 90s. So I'm I'm hooked. I've never seen it. Uh, and... I like for no particular reason. I was definitely going to see shows, uh, and I lived in Jersey. Like you know, I was near New York in the '90s, and I just never, never really went to see it. Hey, do you like horror movies? Are you stuck at home right now, just waiting to get Funny Games or perhaps The Strangers? Duh. Well, have we got the thing for you? In honor of our upcoming horror history series, Deep Cuts, hosted by yours truly. We've partnered with Shudder to bring y'all a special offer. Late night listeners, that means you, can get an extended 14-day free trial for Shudder and access to their full library of amazing horror movies. All you have to do is go to Shudder.com slash sign up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R and enter promo code DEEPCUTS. For people who don't listen to Late Night and are thus not cool, they only get seven days. Late night listeners get 14. That's two weeks of horror content. And if that's not a peach, I don't know what is. So now that you have no excuse, I am simply demanding that you watch some great horror movies, such as Audition, Ginger Snaps, In the Mouth of Madness, Tetsuo the Iron Man, The Taking of Deborah Logan, The Love Witch, Knife and Heart, Revenge, literally all of the Friday the 13th movies, Dogtooth, Naroi the Curse, The Exorcist 3, a Tale of Two Sisters, and so many more that I couldn't possibly list them all, but they're very good. So scoot on over there with promo code DEEPCUTS, and let's get spooky. Or else. Glee, I think, is really interesting. I watched at least three, probably four full seasons of it. Again, I like musicals. Like, I wanted to see what's going on. And it was really hit and miss. I mean, in both in terms, I mean, the plotting was just pure insanity, but the just in terms of the musical numbers, some of them were amazing and some of them were just like complete dog shit. I felt like early on it was, I could stand it. And then it got kind of annoying <laughs> as it happened. Well, you know, that's because season one of Glee was focused on introducing the rest of the world to musical theater. And a lot of the musical numbers they did in season one were pulled directly from musicals that you would see on Broadway. Oh, um, I didn't know and that. then no. after season one, studio producers came in and were like, you got to do pop songs, more pop songs. That's what sells. That's what hits. Oh. And they like completely mm. took the musical theater heart and the musical theater education element out of the show to sell records. Oh, that's wow. interesting. I didn't know that. I remember, I thought it was, there was some musical theater stuff. I think it was, it was not the first season. I thought they did a good version of don't rain on my parade, which was, I thought pretty solid, but that's really, really interesting. I didn't, Think about that, but it makes sense. There was a lot more pop songs as it went on. Well, because season one, I mean, the big thing everyone remembers was the Don't Stop Believing number. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that people that make the decisions were like, that's what we need more of. Right. Because that was like the first episode or something, right? Wasn't it like a pilot that aired before the rest of the show and it was like a kind of a teaser or something like that? I think you're right. Yeah, just a thing getting shot in the foot by its own success. Before we move on from musicals, I have another, um, this is another terrible latent going on dates story. <laughs> uh, I went on a first date. Actually, no. Oh, God, this was a second date with a guy. Um, and we were sitting in a cafe just like having a coffee. And I was asking him what kind of music he liked. And he was like, oh, I mainly listen to musical soundtracks. And I was like, okay, cool. 
Um, and he was talking about, he was like, have you ever seen Avenue Q? And I was like, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not really into musicals. And then he was like, oh, I have, you have to listen. I have to send you this song. And I was like, oh yeah, send it to me later today. And he was like, no, I want you to listen to it right now. Um, and then he gave me like a <laughs> pair okay. of like big can headphones and made me listen to the entirety of everyone's a little bit racist, uh, oh as God. we were like sitting across from each other. And he was like smiling, engaging my reaction the entire time. And like every time I would get through a few 30 seconds, and I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, this is good. And like start to take them off. He was like, no, 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 listen to the whole thing. Oh. That was the end of that relationship. Wasn't it? Oh, we did not go on another date. <laughs> after that. There was nothing more awkward than like having someone watch you listen to music, especially when they're like, huh? Huh? How about this? Oh, yeah. In a crowded cafe. Oh, and for something that's supposed to be like funny, too. Yeah. And it was me being like, ha, 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 ha. OK, cool. yeah. Oh, man, I totally went on a date with a guy who would just make jokes that like we're not we were not on the same level humor wise. And he would mm -hmm. make jokes and then wait for me to react. And so I totally get where you're coming from, <laughs> where I would like not really laugh because I didn't think it was funny. And he'd be like, oh, come on, you can laugh. It's okay. Oh, like, oh, if you got to say you can laugh. Oh, no, that's so it's such a bummer. I think he thought I was like nervous around him. And maybe that's why I wasn't <laughs> laughing. But I was like, no, I just don't think that's funny. But conversely, I would say things that I thought were hilarious and he would not laugh at all. So I was like, this is just, sir, we're just we're not on the same wavelength. Also, it's like, this is going to waste. <laughs> Trisha, was that here in L.A.? Yeah. Okay, so. Oh, of course it was. <laughs> I had the same thing when I moved to California for grad school. I moved from Jersey, from the East Coast. I went to San Diego for grad school, and I was there with mostly California people. And I remember a couple months into being there, someone was like, actually, you're pretty cool. And I was like, wait, What? Act, what, what do you mean actually? And they were like, well, you keep saying all these like really unfunny, mean things. And I realized that I wasn't being, I wasn't being mean. I was just being like East Coast sarcastic. And yeah. it was not landing at all. I mean, I never like said mean stuff about people. I wasn't like insulting people, but I would just make these like, oh yeah, that's really great. Or whatever kind of like East Coast sarcasm right. things. And uh, only several months into being in San Diego did I realize that pretty much everyone there who was a Californian like just was not picking up on any sarcasm and they thought I was just being an asshole. And it really was a culture uh, shock for me. It's it's really noticeable, especially like uh, being from like my mom's side of the family is uh, up north and my dad's is down south. And so like there's the southern tendency of like the passive aggressiveness you know, the bless your hearting, yeah, yeah. but also like the will strike up a conversation with anybody and it'll be like a meandering, like, here is my life story thing. And then once you get up north, it's like, I appreciate the north energy so much more. But like Jersey especially is like the far extreme of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like Jersey, New York, probably I mean, Philly, too. Right, Trisha? Like people get pretty sarcastic. Philly is pretty harsh. And I'm like the weird kid that even though I grew up outside of Philly, I think this small town that I grew up in was small town enough that when I moved to Philly after college, I was like, people here are too mean for me. Yeah, Like, I don't know that I can deal with it. Uh, so when I moved to L.A., I was so excited because I was like, oh, everyone is so nice. This is such a <laughs> breath of fresh air. But I certainly had a lot of friends who moved from the Philadelphia area out to L.A. 
that had a really hard time. And they were like, everyone here thinks I'm a jerk. And I yep. think everybody here is super fake. And yes. like, because that's how they read West Coast. Like East Coast reads West Coast yeah. as super fake, even though West yes. Coast would say, no, we're just trying to be polite. And right. West Coast reads East Coast as being a jerk, even though East Coast is like, no, I'm just being real. So yep. you have to yeah. find that balance. Um, and I think for me, I just kind of, awkwardly settled somewhere in the middle so I didn't really fit in in either place <laughs> but I'm making it work. So I was in San Diego for six years for grad school and I feel like it mellowed out my personality quite a bit in a very useful and positive way. Like I think I learned how to be friendlier by living in California and I remember at some point hmm. like literally at some point telling myself like you got to tone down the sarcasm, dude. Like it is not playing out here and people are getting mad. So <laughs> I, I, I think that was actually a, a big plus for me just as a person. Yeah, you kind of at a certain point got to have the sarcasm beaten out of you. A, the most low hanging fruit. B, it just sucks to be around. Yes. Although then I moved to England and which is, of <laughs> course, like the home of I don't know what would you, it's not uh, just dry, right? Just like totally dry, scathing things said without a hint that they're being humorous. And I I had to kind of readopt some of that, like (laughs) some of that edge to to get along in in British society. Oh, Um, that's fascinating. Now I want to go to the UK even more. (laughs) Yeah, the only thing I think I held on to from like my East Coast isms is when I do flip the switch to like get heated about something it flips like Uh I'm like super Mm. polite and very nice but like god forbid someone says something about my baby or like my husband or something I will go from like 1 to 55 in an (laughs) instant there is no middle ground Uh, my my husband always jokes that someday they're gonna have to bail mommy out of jail because (laughs) someone like bullied my child and I'm like well maybe what was the last like specific thing you got heated over? It didn't even happen to me. It was on the news that I guess some lady was trying to board a plane with twins and the flight attendant told her she couldn't put her stroller oh, in yeah. the overhead yes. and it like almost that. hit the baby's head falling down. If yeah, yeah. that were me, I would have found the first nice face stranger and said, excuse me, can you hold my baby for a second? And then mauled that flight attendant. <laughs> there would have been so much death. They would have had to drag me off that plane kicking and screaming. But I'm like, that's a huge deal. That's the kind of thing that I'm like, my husband was like, honey, this isn't even a real situation. This didn't even happen to you. And I was like so mad for that, mom. See, I avoided the 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 anger side of the East Coast thing. I, I don't really get angry very much. You know, I, I don't know what your background is, Trisha, but from the, you know, the soft like Ashkenazi Jewish side of my family, like that no one was mad. People were just oh, I'm, like sarcastic. I'm Italian and Irish. It's in my blood. Yeah, yeah. So we, same over here. I had none of that. Like all the men in my family were like kind of you know soft Jewish guys. But the flip side of that is we got the you know the, the sort of gallows humor, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Trisha, do you say John? Like hand me that John. Is that part of your vocabulary? No. What does that even mean? It's a classic Philly slang word. It just means thing. I mean, I guess. I guess I've heard that before. I never said that. I said water for years oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. instead of water. Um, and I had the 
I forget. I'm a, I'm a bad theater major. I forget what the name for that. It's like the flat A sound where it's not bad. It's bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't mm. remember. And you're not mad. You're mad. Right. Um, I, I said all, that was probably one of the hardest ones for me. And actually, because I went to school in a suburb around Philadelphia um, for theater, there was a, a whole semester on voice and dialect where they said everyone who's in this classroom right now, unless you only ever want to play characters from Philadelphia and New Jersey, you need to lose your accent. <laughs> like we're... All of you yeah. are going to lose it. And we spent an entire semester focusing on specific vowel sounds, specific Amazing. slang, um, so that you didn't speak like that anymore. Like, I remember the moment that blew my mind in class was the teacher saying, sad, mad, glad, and bad should all rhyme. And my <laughs> head practically exploded because those things did not rhyme. Yeah, say those words as you would growing up. Sad, mad, bad. And I guess glad is, no, glad. That would be glad. Um, but they did not all rhyme. They were <laughs> like That's very amazing. different. Um, and yeah, that blew my mind. But it took me a long time. And still to this day, when I get tired or inebriated, the Philly comes accent out. comes out pretty hard. That happens to my wife with Minnesota. Really? Like when, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. When Rachel, I mean, Rachel was also a theater major in St. Paul. And you know, I think trained herself and then lived in Boston for a long time, which is where we met. So I think had that Midwestern accent largely drilled out of her. But when she is on the phone with her mom, who is fully an, oh yeah, you betcha, kind of, you know, like a a Fargo level, almost, not quite, but close to it, Minnesota accent. I can hear her, her Minnesota voice come back when she's on the phone with family. It's really, really great. I, I definitely veer into if I'm around my family into a little bit more Southern. Do you have the pin pen distinction, Layton? What? Speaking about vowel sounds, there's a famous thing where to some people, the words P-I-N and P-E-N are indistinguishable, like they're pronounced the same. And to other people like me, I say those differently. I say pin and pen. Those are different vowel yeah. sounds to me. To a lot of people, and I think I could be wrong, but I think this is especially a Southern thing. They'll say it more like, you know, give me the pan so I can write and put that dog in the pan. Mm. So they are basically the same words. And there are all these other like examples like that, like the name Mary and to marry someone. There's cot, like the thing you lay on, like a small bed versus Mm -hmm. the past tense of catch, you know, that's a cot and I caught it. Uh, There are all these like, you know, different ways that people pronounce vowel sounds in words. Yeah, regionalisms are hilarious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And also just like words for stuff like uh, what people in different area of the country call soda or like a bubbler or fountains. Oh, yeah. How do you guys pronounce P-U-L-L and P-O-O-L? Wait, wait. P-U-L-L and P-O-O-L? Mm-hmm. Pull and pool? That's what I do. Pull and pool. So my husband makes fun of me incessantly because they are the same word to me. How, how would you pronounce how? Like you jump in the pool or you pull the sliding glass door open. Interesting. Um, and I'm sure that that's a regionalism from where I'm from. The same thing with I never pronounce the L in wolf. Oh, you say woof. Woof. Yeah, I say woof, um, which they make fun of me on online forever. Like since SourceFed days, everyone joked around about how I say W-U-F for the animal. 
as well as the dog bark noise. But it's funny because I was like, my sister says it like that too. And she now lives in Massachusetts. And I'm like, where do we get that from? And I asked my mom and my mom pronounces it correctly. But then I said to my dad, I was like, hey, dad, who's afraid of the big bad? And he goes, woof. And I was like, there it is. (laughs) Okay, great. Good. Thanks, dad. I'd never heard that one before. Some of these are not regionalisms. They're just like, they're just a way that certain people say uh, say words. So I think I could be wrong about this. I think the pin pen thing used to be more of a regionalism, but now is more widespread. So it starts to be this thing as people kind of, mm. you know, move throughout the country or the pronunciation does or whatever. Uh, it's less regional. And sometimes stuff that I, there's definitely stuff, and I can't think of a good example that I thought was regional for a long time. And it turns out that it's just like, sometimes it's more generational and sometimes it's just like, there are pockets where people say it this way and pockets where people say it that way. And it's not even like correlated with geography that totally. much. Mm-hmm. I, we could talk about this forever. I, I One thing I'll point out about Rachel, and I don't know if this is a Minnesota thing or a Rachel thing, pronounce P-O-O-R and P-O-U-R. They're the same for me. Poor and poor. Yeah. Rachel says poor, like I don't have money. And to take water from a pitcher that's poor poor oh interesting Hmm. isn't that wild there there's one that's really funny to me uh in listening to doughboys which is a great podcast that everybody should listen to um but mitch on that show says popcorn as popcorn or like uh papa is papa it's really interesting i've never heard anybody he pronounces the o like a like a u is that what you're saying yeah popcorn popcorn weird yeah it's really funny. It like makes oh. me laugh every time. Well, actually, Layton, I do have a question for you. Oh my god, <laughs> Layton, what's popping? You didn't say what's popping. It was right there. Oh my god, you are so right, and I am extremely embarrassed. What's popping? What's popping? Oh, I fucked that up so hard. I'm so embarrassed right now. <laughs> You set it up. You, yeah, you set it. it up perfectly. I really did. And I completely, oh, wow. Oh, Brian, you're great. So, Trisha, this is the segment where we share pop culture recommendations, and it's called um, What's Poppin'? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trisha, what's poppin'? Final Fantasy VII Remake, and I liked that you said poppin'. I appreciate that. But yeah, I've been playing a ton of Final Fantasy VII Remake, and I know that a lot of people that work in the games industry have already burned through it and are done and are moved on to something else or their, you know, 60 millionth hour of Animal Crossing New Horizons. But (laughs) for me, trying to balance, uh, you know, a work from home schedule while also preschool toddler schedule, um, I have not had ample time to just play video games. So my me time that I take is streaming on my Twitch channel. And I've been streaming a crap ton of Final Fantasy VII Remake. I loved the original game. I've cosplayed Tifa Lockhart before. Um, And so I was like super looking forward to this game. And it is not letting me down. It's gorgeous. I love the stuff they've added in so far. I think the um, American or English voice actors are doing a fantastic job. And yeah, overall, I'm really pleased with it. And they had an especially high bar, I should say, set saying that they were going to try to modernize the combat because the original Final Fantasy VII was turn-based. And turn-based isn't everybody's favorite nowadays. I still like it, but I'm old school. So they did this hybrid combat system that's very hack and slash action 
uh, game kind of style, but also mixed with turn-based elements. And I think that they pulled it off really well in a way that is still satisfying for someone like me who cool. loves the classic turn-based and in a way that satisfi satisfies modern gamers that want a little bit more uh, like tactile combat in their lives so i would highly recommend that it's also a long game because it's a final fantasy game so it's a great escape right now that's awesome i've never played any final fantasy like <gasps> any of them ever what i know it's just wild i recognize it's the remake of seven but like yeah sure is, is it a good standalone like yeah i think so i'd say jump right into it i mean you get to know the characters as they come in and you didn't you don't need to have played the original to play the remake at all so yeah i'd say jump right in get get your final fantasy on actually i just remembered that <laughs> i wrote a song about it with starbomb like starbomb literally has a song about final oh, fantasy seven yeah. and i mean I, i'm not gonna lie i didn't write I think virtually any of the lyrics on that one, that was all probably Aaron and maybe maybe Aaron and Dan. I don't know what the breakdown on that one was, but like I literally have a song about it that's released and has a video <laughs> and everything, uh, but I've never played the, the game. Yeah, I've never played them either, but there is uh, the record shop in Dream Daddy is called Vinyl Fantasy. <laughs> yes, very nice. Well, are you playing it on a PS4, Trisha? Uh, you can only play it on a PS4 right now. So although I primarily am a PC gamer, I broke out the PS4 and dusted it off specifically for this title because I wanted to play it so bad. Sometimes I'll wait until PS4 exclusive titles come out on PC just so that I can play at my workstation. I just, I prefer keyboard mouse. I like my gaming chair in my office. Traditionally, my consoles are down in my living room. You know, gaming is really my mommy time. That's my me time. Yeah, um, yes. So I, I kind of like having that separation. <laughs> <laughs> from the rest of my household when I sit down to play video games. Oh, but yeah. yeah, this one's really good. The fact that neither of you have ever played a Final Fantasy game, what I will say I think draws a lot of people in is the the story, the emotion, the heart in the characters and in the stories told. And the stories do get very convoluted at times throughout the series. Yes. But overall, by the end of the game, this is the first series of games that I ever played that I, I really felt for the characters. Oh, cool. And, you know, I, I was very invested in what happened to them throughout the game and especially towards the end of the game. And um, that's something I feel like Final Fantasy has always done very well. That's awesome. Brian, what's uh, popping? What's what? What's popping? <laughs> I'm just mixing it up. Okay. I'm trying to stay unpredictable okay. here. Okay, that's fine. What's popped for me, this is a uh, a podcast that I've been actually really into for probably the better part of a year. I met this guy at a, like a conference thing. He's like a construction YouTuber, Jackman works. And we were talking about how he listens to podcasts all the time because he's just like building shit in his workroom. Real, really amazing, like woodworking type stuff. And he was like, Oh, this podcast I'm really into is called good one. And it's a vulture podcast. Do you, do you guys know about this at all? Have you heard this? Mm -mm. Basically, the idea behind the podcast is the host, Jesse David Fox, talks to a comedian. He plays one of their jokes, and then they have this very long, you know, sometimes two-hour in-depth discussion about the joke. And there's a lot of background. There's a lot of, like, what did it take? He interviews all different types of comedians. He does, you know, it's mostly stand-ups, but he'll talk to musicians occasionally. He had one with Weird Al. And it's just a really smart, well-done conversation about comedy. There was one guy where his joke was like a throwaway, like a three-second remark 
in some <laughs> thing that he wrote once. And sometimes the jokes are like, they just did one, this last week's episode was Sarah Schaefer, and it's like a 15-minute bit uh, about her going to Hobby Lobby. <laughs> and it, it's just smart comedians talking about comedy. And he also clearly makes an effort to have it not just be a bunch of white guys. Like it, he really is, is, I'd say, predominantly not white male comedians. And That's awesome. Yeah, it's just a very smart and interesting look at, at comedy. So good one podcast. Highly recommend it. Are there any specific episodes you could recommend for uh, people to jump into? One episode that stands out as being particularly interesting because I was like, this is a guy I really like. And it was a very smart discussion was he talked about the opening scene of the Righteous Gemstones with Danny McBride. And, <laughs> you know, I know some people don't love Danny McBride. He's a lot smarter than you probably give him credit for being and thinks pretty deeply about a lot of like writing and filmmaking stuff. And it was very interesting to hear him talk about how he approaches uh, screenwriting and comedy. And also, you know, his whole thing is like, he's from the South. He lives in the South. He's very conscious of being Southern. I'm very curious, Layton, if you have an opinion one way or the other about Danny McBride. Well, so I really appreciate him because uh, my dad worked on Eastbound and Down. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. He has been really great about like intentionally going for my hometown, Wilmington. Which, yeah. Before a bunch of stupid tax incentive stuff for films was like a huge hub for um, filmmaking. And then it switched over to Georgia, Savannah, Atlanta specifically. So it like really, really fucked with the economy and like a lot of family, friends, blah, blah, blah. So I appreciate that he goes out of his way to do that um, in terms of his work. I think he's really, really funny, but I don't like his writing. The new Halloween is so fucking whack. That could be a whole minisode of me just going off about that movie, but it's very bad. Um, and uh, yeah, I th you know, he seems cool as a person. Uh, Hot Rod is one of my favorite movies and he's so good in that. Yeah. I think Eastbound and Down is great. Like start to finish. It's, I never watched it. It's Some of it is so funny. And the thing with his stuff is there's just like a voice present from the start. And a lot of, you know, he works a lot with David Gordon Green and Jody Hill. And, you know, they've just got a great collaboration going on. And it's like, I feel like each project they do has what is distinctively their voice, but also different. So I really like The Righteous Gemstones, Eastbound and Down, Vice Principals, all that stuff. I think it's it's fantastic. And, you know, not without its issues, but generally uh I'm a big fan. Yeah, I could never get into East Bend Down. I wish that I could. But you're, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying about the same voice throughout. For me, what was it about that series? For me, I just think it. I, he was so unlikable yes. that I just, <laughs> I just couldn't. Like it, it, I know that there's that whole like unlikable in a funny way thing. Yeah. It's how a lot of people feel about Larry David, and like, and which is also right. a show that I wish I could have gotten into more like I can logically understand why it's funny but it didn't it doesn't resonate with me if that makes sense I, I think it makes an effort to be off-putting like uh, I really yeah. do you know the, 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 I think that's intentional so the fact that it is I've heard a lot of people say that I think it totally makes sense yeah I am. My dad also worked on Vice Principals, and I swear I'm going to get details wrong about this shit, and then I'm going to get a text from my dad like, um, I have corrections. But Vice Principals, there's like a one-off thing where there's a bully that's wearing a jean jacket that's like really ripped up and has a bunch of patches on it. But the notable thing is that on the back, the back patch is a hand airbrushed thing of like a lightning wizard on a mountain and shit. And mm -hmm. It's like very metal. My dad got that jacket, and I wear oh. that. That's like my favorite jacket. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. So I love that my fashion sense is TV bully. And that is, I believe in that first episode, Matt Watson is in that, correct? Yeah, he is. He totally is. Yeah. That's awesome. God bless him. I miss that boy. Uh, Layton, what's poppin'? What's poppin' for me is, again, I said this last week, I truly have been consuming nothing but The Sopranos and Dead by Daylight and nothing else. But I will go back to a movie that I've been wanting to rewatch just because of circumstances. Um, if you have not seen the original Spanish Rec, R-E-C, which was remade shittily, into quarantine it's like one of the best found footage movies ever and is like i in my opinion a super great watch right now it's not like watching contagion where you're going to be upset about sickness stuff because it's sort of like a zombie movie it's like this all takes place in one spot and it's claustrophobic and has a really great creature design and great performances it's just good and you should watch it cool moving on to our next segment it's peaches and lemons So peaches and lemons is a thing that my aunt and uncle do with my nieces every night at dinner where they share one lemon, which is a thing that was a bummer or that they're unhappy about or whatever. And then the peach is something that they're excited about or grateful for or something good that happened. And they only do one peach. We have stolen it and we do three peaches. And for the time being, we are not doing any lemons because there are too many lemons right now. So yeah, we are, we, we will share the things that we are excited about or grateful for, etc. Uh, Trisha, do you want to go first? Okay, so let's see. My three things that are just making me happy right now are getting so much quality time with my family. Like on one hand, yes, I've been joking around a lot about how it's driving me crazy. And I talk about it a lot that it really inhibits my productivity and, you know, makes my sanity feel like it is completely out of this world at times. However, I know that I'm extremely fortunate to get toddler snuggles every night and like when I think of my friends that have a studio apartment and live by themselves going through this that are like I just want to be hugged like that breaks my heart um and so I know as much as it may have its own challenges I am super fortunate to have my husband and my son with me through this um so that's one peach Another peach is uh, streaming, which is how I've been connecting to people. So I do a lot of live streaming, mostly on Twitch, um, but just having conversations with people all over the world and seeing how different people are, you know, kind of looking at all of this and faring through all this and just having that type of connection where I'm connecting with the, uh, the same core group of people for the most part, multiple times a week. It gives me a way to fill that Sims social meter if you will, in this time where it's so very hard to do that. So I'm very, very grateful for the ability uh, that the internet has given us to live stream and connect with people that way too. And for just my community there, they're awesome. So it's like I'm playing video games and socially connecting with people, which are pretty much the best things in the world for me. That's awesome. So that's yeah. That's my big coping mechanism. And then the third peach I would say is another. These are all just like connectivity things, but yeah, yeah. Uh, virtual reality because I feel like if anything is going to propel our society into the oasis of Ready Player One, this could be it. And <laughs> being able to put on a VR headset and visit a location on the other side of the world or um, you know, just hang out in a virtual room and chat with people in that way, it, it makes me feel like I'm experiencing things even though physically I'm stationed in one spot. Yeah. Nice. That's really dope. I, I love the idea of VR and I get so motion sick that I just can't do it. Oh, which is such no. A When's the last time you tried it though, Layton? 
Not very recently. Okay. So I would say uh, it has come a long way in the last five years. Um, okay. The The issue for me is that regular video games make me really sick. Okay. So it's, I'm trying to work through it, but like, I think I need to master my sea legs with like me not being plugged into the alternate reality and then I will work my way up. Yeah. There's all different things that people have tried to where like they'll insert a virtual nose that you can see inside your headset to help you keep your balance. What? And that's helped huh. people sometimes. But uh, for me, I, I got... For the first time in my life when I was pregnant, I was finding myself getting like vertigo whenever I went in VR. And I was like, this is crazy. I do VR all the time. I didn't know I was pregnant at the time. And then I took a pregnancy Mm -hmm. test and I was. And the only thing I could think is that like, because your body fluid levels are kind of all over the place when you're pregnant, that like maybe somehow that made my balance crazy. I don't know. But uh, Hmm. after I was no longer pregnant, now I'm fine with VR again. Um, But the only time that it gets me now is if there's like a frame skipped and that's just, you know, a a tech issue that needs to be worked out. But Hmm. for the most part, it has come leaps and bounds further than it used to be. And I know a lot of people that used to get sick from it that now don't. So what I'm saying is don't give up hope. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as somebody who makes video games for a living, I'm going to have to. (laughs) Get over it eventually. It's just frustrating because it, it's just sort of like, well, this is a dice roll on specific games. Like Katamari Damashi is like one of my favorite games of all time. And I cannot play it anymore at all because it makes me so fucking ill. That one is hard for me too, for that reason. Yeah. The pregnancy thing is so interesting, Trisha. Is that, have you ever talked to anyone else that that's a thing for? No, not yet. I'm curious if that's like a known effect. I don't think so from what I can tell, but it w- it's funny because I do a lot of work with Alienware, uh, which is like the gaming branch of Dell that yeah, Dell yeah. owns. And I always joke around with them that it was the Alienware E3 party that I found out I was pregnant. And that's a bond <laughs> we will always share together because that's I was amazing. doing a VR demo at the Alienware E3 party and got vertigo like so bad that the poor guy running the demo had to catch me so I didn't fall oh, God, over. Wow. Oh, no. And like I said, like I was like, I do VR all the time. Like I make tech and gaming content. VR is one of the, the categories I'm constantly working in. And this has never happened before. So of course, me being the jerk that I am was like, well, it must be your system because it couldn't possibly yeah. be me because I don't get sick. <laughs> and that's the night that I like met all the executives from Alienware. We ended up hitting it off oh, and wow. continuing the conversation. But now I always joke around that we will always share that bond because I went home and I said to my <laughs> husband, Something must be wrong with me because you will never believe what happened to me tonight. And he wow. jokingly was like, maybe you're pregnant because um, we were kind <laughs> of trying slash not trying at the time. And then it turns out I was. And I, the only other things I know that like the fluid can mess up uh, also happened to me, which is eyesight. Oh, yeah. Wow. If you have astigmatism, which I didn't know that I had until I was pregnant the extra fluid in your body can make the symptoms of astigmatism worse when Mm. you're pregnant, which Mm. is why I never knew I had it until I was pregnant. And then I was like, wow, things look like, like my windshield looks really greasy at night. Is that normal? (laughs) My husband was like, please go see an eye doctor. (laughs) And I did. And now I have glasses. I never needed glasses before that, which I also never thought becoming pregnant would ruin your eyesight. But (laughs) But here That's we are. wild, yeah. Yeah, there's so many there's so many weird things. In fact, all my vlogs about it because I was like I don't want to do like precious mommy vlogs. That's just not my yeah, style. Yeah. It's not <laughs> who I am. But I definitely did a few like, yo, check out this weird thing that happens to your body when you're making another human because it's wackadoo. Yeah. I definitely did a couple wild. of those vlogs. 
Yeah, the, cool. uh, pregnancy is the ultimate body horror. Yep. It's crazy. Like, it made me legit think of that scene from Spaceballs where the alien pops out <laughs> of the stomach. Like, that's how I yeah. felt almost all the time. Like, because you look at your belly and you see it moving and you're like, I didn't do that. I didn't yeah. make that belly move like that. And that's my belly. And it's just like the weirdest, like even though logically, you know, that's how it all works. Actually having it yeah. happen in your body is a whole separate, like I just really felt like I was in an alien movie the whole time. <laughs> delightful. I mean, awful, but delightful to hear about. <laughs> Human bodies are weird. Brian. Yes. What are your peaches? The first one is that we got Mario Party, like the new one. And I know it's been out for a while. Uh, Audrey played it once like a year ago when we had some friends over and they brought a switch. So we played it on that and we finally got it because it's like we're all trapped in the house. Like, what are we going to do? And it's been so much fun to play Mario Party with her and Rachel because she's at an age where she can actually do the mini games and she can win them. <laughs> and we did have a little moment yesterday where so if you play Mario Party, you know, at some point around like seven or something, the bad luck spaces get converted to extra bad luck spaces. And she landed on one and ran out of the room sobbing. And oh. so that was a little bit of an adventure. She actually said to me today, she goes, you know, I think I have more emotions than my friends, which I thought was really cute. <laughs> That's very self-aware. I think she's pretty self-aware, actually. I think she really is. But And it is true. Like, she feels things very, very deeply. A lot of empathy for characters in movies. When a character in a movie is in not even physical, but emotional peril. She hates it. She gets really, really upset. She's very empathetic and knows that she is too. But even Mario Party was a little, <laughs> a little bit too much. <laughs> we had to like coax her back into the room and like, you know, you <laughs> land on those spaces. You have to like, it's a little roulette wheel. You have to push the thing. And I was like, honey, you have to do that. I know it's not fun, but like, it's part of the game and we'll do it together. And it, it went okay. She was worried, worried about losing her star. She didn't lose her star. It all worked out. But generally, there was one small setback in what's been a really fun family activity. And one of the few like video games that all three of us can play together. That's awesome. That's been really fun. Yeah. Uh, my second one, is, speaking of sarcasm before, uh, I think we had Audrey's first like real hardcore sarcasm yesterday. Where, Whoa. yeah, so here's what it was. I, I can't remember exactly what I was telling her to do. I was like, okay, honey, let's, you know, let's go clean up outside or whatever. And she looks at me and does jazz hands and goes, yay. <laughs> oh, what a wonderful entry into sarcasm. I know. And I was like, I, I had really mixed emotions because it was, extremely disrespectful, like really, really like could not have been more fuck you energy, which five-year-olds are already just chock full of. So I was a little upset at that as an authority figure, as a proud sarcasm user. I was like, this is great. This is a whole new world has just opened up for this kid. Like she nailed it. Like it was the perfect tone of bored and like kind of aggressive and the jazz hands, just really strong comedic choice. Yeah, with the hand gesture, oh, it was like, she really could not have delivered it better. Bravo. I, I was like, okay, honey, you have to like, you know, just go go away for a minute because I need to talk to mom about this. And we we got through it. But I was, I was proud slash upset during that. And my final one is, talked about 
endlessly at this point in the podcast. The kids album came out. So Trisha, I don't know if you know, I wrote a kids album with my uh, collaborator, Jim Roach, uh, that came out last last week, I think a week ago, two weeks ago. That's awesome. It was really fun. Yay, I'm going to have to let my little one listen to it. Is it appropriate for a three-year-old? Oh, yeah. I'd say the target age group is like three to 10. Um, awesome. So I'll send you, I'll DM you a copy of the album. But the cool thing is that we got covered by NPR and they did a piece on us that aired on Morning Edition and posted a, a blog about it. People actually heard, I had friends get in touch and they were like, you just heard you on the radio. Mm-hmm. And it is such a thing. I, I don't know if if you guys feel this, maybe less so Trisha, because you're in, you know, you're in kind of the media more than than at least I am. But when traditional media covers digital people, there's a little bit of like, at least for me, I'm like, oh my God, like I'm kind of getting a little like outside the bubble mm-hmm. that I live in as a YouTuber. And there's this feeling of, I guess, legitimacy would be the best way to say it. And I know that's misplaced because what we all do is every bit as legitimate as traditional media. But uh, there is that feeling of like, whoa, like maybe this is going to to reach some people in a way that hasn't before. And that was definitely the case with this NPR piece. Like we saw a lot of traffic come from it and it was just a really nice piece that I was really, really happy with. So that was, and I, I love NPR. Like I'm a big NPR fan, have been for for years. So it was cool to see a media outlet I like cover this thing I was really proud yeah, of. Yeah, I, I, That's I awesome. texted you about it, but I sent it to my mom and she listened to it. And she's just like, it was so cute. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, it is. It's always weird when traditional media and digital media collide, which is happening so much yeah, now. Yeah, for sure. Yes. That all the traditional media outlets are like, hey, hey, digital people, how do you do what you do again? <laughs> yes. Like suddenly they care. But I feel like before that, traditional media looks at digital media and is like, oh, that's cute that you guys are playing in your sandbox. We're really not interested, even though most people that work in digital have audiences 10 times the size of what like a, a television show would show on its Nielsen yeah. ratings, which are totally. made up anyway. <laughs> yes. Digital is like, you know, I can give you exact demographics, where my audience lives, what age range, what gen, you know, like yeah. everything about it. And it's, it's really so much more sophisticated and advanced, but traditional media has this kind of con or used to have primarily the, this more condescending attitude. And to see that flip be switched now that everything's gone digital is it's just fascinating to watch. But there is that ingrained, I think, for a lot of people, idea that traditional media somehow is more legit. Yeah. Well, it feels, I mean, certainly for people, you know, I'm 45 and that's like, that's the shit I grew up with. Like a couple of years ago, there was this big feature on NSP in the Washington Post, like in print. And it was like, oh my God, what the hell? Like, this feels so big time. And probably that reached, you know, maybe fewer people than see a typical NSP video, but it was such a great piece. The guy that wrote it, Gene Park, just was like, you know, got it. He like got it super hard. It just gets digital stuff in general. But it it was, it's this thing that like this outlet that you've been aware of and respect for so long is talking about you. And you're like, whoa, that's, it it feels, and and truthfully it was huge. Yeah, that's really cool. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. It was, yeah, it was a while. That's a very good peach. Yeah, Vern and I got interviewed by uh, the BBC 
right after Dream Daddy came out. That that was like oh, that's awesome. the big crazy one because I the the apartment uh, that I was living in at the time uh, had terrible Wi-Fi, and so all of Dream Daddy was written remotely from across the country, and so every day. I would go to Starbucks and use their Wi-Fi and camp there because the Wi-Fi of my apartment wasn't good. But I like overslept, woke up. Vernon was like, hey, I've been trying to reach you. The BBC wants to do an interview right now. And so I like literally ran. Oh, my God. I ran to Starbucks in my pajamas and did it like over my phone there. And it was just like a stress <laughs> dream come to life. Obviously wonderful, but totally like, hey, legit thing wants to interview you. You look like shit. Run as fast as you can. <laughs> That's wild. Actually, the the cool thing about the NPR interview, and I'll get off this in a second, but they had this tech, they had an app that we all did download, and it was it like coordinated the call-in stuff. Whoa. It was like I think some proprietary thing, I'm not sure, but like we basically all called in through an app and then submitted our recording. It was a very cool way of doing this like remote interview. Layton, what are your peaches? Um, I'll I'll move through them. Uh, first one is that I got like a huge, huge carton of eggs, uh, which Vernon very kindly delivered to me because uh, he's he's a true homie. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna make a quiche. Just I'm always really excited to make a quiche because nice. it's such a this will feed me for several days for every meal because it's really multi-purpose and also it'll be delicious. So I'm gonna do some uh, artichoke hearts, spinach, cheese, and bacon. Pretty stoked about that. Right. Um other peach i had to write them down um oh yeah i uh i did like my first legit twitch stream last night like it's taken me forever to have like a good enough recording setup and a good enough like i finally figured out i found a good app for like projecting procreate onto my computer and it worked like super well but yeah i streamed for like three hours yay just drawing oh that's for amazing. three hours yeah. that's amazing yeah and i had like a good number of people in there it was just like super fun and chill and uh i'm gonna start doing that more hopefully so uh, if you guys want to follow me on twitch it's twitch.tv slash graylish which is the same as my twitter and then the, the third the third peach kind of tacked onto that is that like I don't know. I, I am like very, I think like every artist, I'm very down on my art literally all of the time, but kind of getting over myself and drawing in front of other people, like in a live way like that, I feel like was a good like mastery of my own anxiety hurdle. And like, I ended up doing stuff I was happy with and just sort of getting that like real time positive reinforcement from people being like, this is awesome. It was a lot better than me just sitting there by myself being like, oh, I fucking hate this. This fucking sucks. Why did I drop out of art school? Ah. So yeah, people who came to the stream, thank you. That was fun. I'll do it again. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Cool. Well, this cool. was a good episode. Uh, th the yeah. way that I said that was so unenthused. I haven't eaten anything today. And so it's like super hot in my apartment <laughs> and I haven't eaten. And like I'm watching this bag of goldfish on my desk and the flavor blast is staring me down. Oh, man, you're going to get those goldfish. <laughs> oh, my, my fingers are all going to be, be dusty and I'm going to touch <laughs> my keyboard and get really mad about it. Um, but Trisha, thank you so much for coming on the show and spending your Saturday evening with yeah, us. Yeah, thank um, you. Where can people find you online? And is there anything that you want to plug? Well, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me. This was awesome. And Brian and Layton, a much needed catch up. I feel like I haven't really had a chance to talk to you both in ages. Yeah. So this yeah, one has been just fascinating and lovely. Thank you both. Oh, um, you. If people want to find me online, you can do that on Twitch or YouTube slash Trisha Hirschberger, or you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at that girl Trish with no I in the girl. So it's just that GRL Trish. And yeah, I mean, right now I'm hosting a bunch of tech series for Newegg, the PC component retailer and the electronics retailer. Um, I host a series for Kingston Technology and they're 
they're all kind of vary on the spectrum from tech made easy if you're looking up a simple how-to all the way to like kind of very heady manufacturer interviews and that kind of stuff. I do a gaming series for fandom that you'll find if you land on a specific fandom or Wikipedia page. And yeah, most of my time right now though is on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Trisha Hirschberger. So come hang out. It would be rad. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, Thanks for your emails, even though we um, shit on you for sending emails. No hard feelings. We do honestly appreciate all the emails uh, we get. We know we don't get to most of them that that you guys send in. And even when we directly insult you by name, it doesn't mean we don't love you. Yeah, we appreciate the time. It's, It's mostly when we don't read emails, it's because it's difficult to yes and them like some are really interesting but they just don't make for good podcasting and yeah. i guess by the time this episode comes out we will have a live patreon i think so, so yeah, yeah um, we true. have three three tiers we're probably going to post like an actual trailer where we describe what you get but um go check it out we absolutely understand we, we don't want to go full amanda palmer after spending last episode <laughs> shitting on her for asking for money right now <laughs> so we totally get it and you do not have to give us money. We would rather you spend money on things that you need, not our bullshit. So maybe go check it out. I don't know. It should be up by then. But yeah, stay safe out there. We, we like you and we love you. And uh, we hope you have a, a nice night or day or whatever. This is the end of the podcast. Bye. Bye. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wett, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Knight, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Knight, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>